Good morning, Vietnam audition session. Jack Nicholson, take one. Good morning, Vietnam. Fetch my slippers. I'd like some fresh juice and get Warren on the line. We've got reservations at Spago tonight, but I met a little honey over at the Playboy Mansion, so I was just wondering if he could push it back a bit. So just, I don't know, see what you can do, Vietnam. Jack Nicholson, good morning, Vietnam audition, take two. Good morning, Vietnam. I'm coming to get you, darling. That's a little threatening. Jack Nicholson, good morning, Vietnam, audition take three. Morning, Nam. How's it hanging? Al Pacino, good morning, Vietnam, audition take one. Good morning, Vietnam. Oh, so sleepy. Huh? Come on, let's get up. Get a little fight in you. Let's take a flamethrower to this place. Oh, somebody already did. Al Pacino, take two. Good morning, Vietnam. I feel like I got napalm in my shorts. That's what the girls do to you here. Al Pacino, take three. Good morning, Vietnam. I know what you did, Vietnam. I know what you did. You broke my heart. Nick Nolte, good morning, Vietnam audition, take one. Good morning, Vietnam. How the hell are you? Come on up to the fire and warm yourself. Get a little whiskey in you. Take two. You know what's good about a morning, Vietnam? The terror stop. Take three. Good morning, Vietnam. That's what I used to say to Roscoe's mail-order bride. She weren't from Vietnam, not as far as I know, but who the hell can tell any of y'all in room anymore? God damn it. Let's try an on-air personality. Someone with a little authentic behind-the-mic experience. Gene Shallot, take one. Good morning, Vietnam. More like, good morning, eat napalm, which is what I said instead of trick-or-treat when I dressed up as Rambo last Halloween. Okay, let's... Now, I'll just give you three in a row. Good morning, Vietnam. More like, good morning, teeny Tom, which is what I say to Tom Cruise when I want to make him feel shitty about his height on press junkets. Good morning, Vietnam. More like, good porn thing, Cheech and Chong, which is what I said after I reviewed the little scene Cheech Marin sex tape. Good morning, Vietnam. More like, good warning, peeping Tom, which is what I said when that sex predator told me that my curtains were also open. Okay, let's just get Robin Williams. Coming soon. Summer at theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 33 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And at the time of this recording, at least, Sunday, January 10th, 2021, our democracy appears to be still standing. So let's raise a glass to that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> raise a glass with never see theater again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, sure you will. 2022, baby. Um, nope, you won't. You don't think so? You don't think by 2022, <laughs> a little bit of theater uh, will creep back in? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it will. I sure. think so. It better. Been watching theater all year. Theater of the absurd. Yeah. Go, 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 go. <laughs> As you were saying, sir. Uh, well, I was just going to say today for our 33rd episode, we are by pure and utter coincidence traveling back 33 years to January 15th, 1988 and the release of the Molly Ringwald dramedy 
Four Keeps, as well as the wide releases of Norman Jewison's Moonstruck, starring Cher and Olympia Dukakis in Oscar-winning performances, and Barry Levinson's Good Morning Vietnam, starring the great Robin Williams. As an added treat, we will be speaking with a very special guest, the New York Times culture reporter David Itzkoff, who wrote Robin, the definitive biography of Robin Williams, which just so happened to be recorded in audiobook form by our very own Frederick Berman. That's very <laughs> exciting. Very exciting. So we are looking forward to chatting with David a little later in the show uh, before our review of Good Morning Vietnam. But uh, before we jump into the rest of the week's movies, hello, boys. Where were we all in January of 1988? So you're saying I was a freshman is what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. You're saying I, that. Your brain should tell you oh. <laughs> what you were. Should tell me. Should. I was a sophomore, okay. so math would dictate that, yes, you're a freshman. Okay. And Jason was a junior. I was a oh, junior. Right. What In high you, school. And what were you doing, Fred? Were you already, were you already a, 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 a hit with the ladies at this point? No. Uh, no, I wasn't hit with the ladies until well into my 30s. And even then, I don't think, I, I wouldn't consider myself a hit. I would just consider myself there. His wedding day. <laughs> I was I was around. I was available. Uh, no, what was I doing back then? You know what I was doing? And this this happens later in the spring. But the big thing that happened this year was I threw a enormous keg party in my house that became legendary. Look and at you. The wow. crazy thing is, I never threw parties. I was not. The guy didn't even get invited to parties, let alone throw them. <laughs> well, there's a reason. And yeah, well, yeah. So what <laughs> happened was my parents went away at some point. They were going away for a week. This one they went and to Africa, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> In their mind's eye, originally. Yeah. <laughs> no, because the Village Bath Club was closed over the winter, so they, didn't, they didn't need to go to Africa. Thank God. That's a throwback, folks. Go back to a couple of episodes. You'll learn all about it. <laughs> just just they sift were going, through them. You'll find sift it. Sift through. Yeah, you'll find you'll, <laughs> There's so many lies, the lies of Fred Berman. <laughs> there the there was, lies. speaking of which, I, I have a letter later. I'll pull out of my mail sack addressing all those lies. Oh my God. We, um, no, they were going away somewhere. So they had their friends, the Millers, they had their son, Paul, I believe his name was Paul Miller, was going to stay with us for a week. At the moment that my parents said, we're going away, my friend Josh Klainberg, who again, was not the guy at all who ever had parties. He was a very straight shooter, mm -hmm. you know, did really well in school, was it was like a school leader and everything. It was his idea, didn't drink. Neither of us, were, I think maybe at this point, I was starting to drink a little beer. I was experimenting, but Josh did not drink at all. It was his idea. As soon as he found out, we have to have a party. Let's have a cake party. <gasps> and myself, Josh, and another guy, Lou Bodie, who was another just sort of like straight shooter kid, never got into trouble, not a party kid. They were like the benefactor. So we all put in money. And with this guy, Paul, who was staying with us, we put enough money and we got a couple of cakes. Now this, guys, when I tell you, this party started off very innocently. Again, I didn't I didn't have like a connection. I didn't, you know, in terms of friends, would be like, hey, come to the party, come to the party. Uh -huh. It just it was like we're gonna do it and word just spread. And mm -hmm. I remember it, I was talking to Damon this morning and he was remembering it saying, like, guys, I don't think this is a good idea. This is this is gonna be huge. <laughs> and it was. And the pro so this guy, Paul was from Roslyn, okay. Roslyn and Manhasset, where I grew up, were sort of competing towns, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing that factors into it, that he brought a lot of his friends from school to be, quote unquote, bodyguards at the party. <laughs> so 
We had an we had we had a, uh, an enclosed patio and then the outdoor area, and that's what we were going to do. And no one's going to be in the house. So long story short, we got these kegs. This was like the party in sixteen candles, where they take over wow. Jake Ryan's house. Wow. <laughs> It became, I'm convinced that Kate, my wife, she went to the neighboring school, St. Mary's. We didn't know each other growing up. I'm convinced she was there oh. because this thing oh, wow. turned out of control. Everyone and their mother was there. Like it just, <laughs> it just blossomed and bloomed and grew and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing we know, people are in the house. There was like a couple like making out or having sex in my sister's room. Wow. It was crazy. I remember this one kid, Kippy Grecio, he and some of his friends, they were shaking. They almost uprooted one of the trees in our backyard because they were shaking it. Oh. It was crazy. The cops came at some point, oh. uh, but they didn't shut it down. And I'm still trying to figure out why. Boy, what are the parallels to this week? <laughs> Somebody unexpectedly people stormed my house. The cops were very slow to do anything about it. They actually opened the doors and let them all in. It was so strange. They took your sister's podium. It was weird. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was a crazy party. But yeah, oh we just gosh. spent the next day cleaning up and it was... It was okay. It was like it never happened. Charmed life. Charmed yeah, totally. Life. Yeah, the cops didn't weren't the cops weren't like uh what ages are the people here? Like they didn't send everybody home. No, and here's I was trying to figure this out as well. We always used to have Fourth of July parties at our house. That was a big, big tradition in our family. And we would always have fireworks, you know, like illegal fireworks, because my dad would get them from the various catering halls he worked for, I guess. Mm. <laughs> and I think that my dad might have slipped a few bucks to the cops, so they, you know. They wouldn't tell us to stop during the 4th of July. That's my guess. I don't know. I'll have oh, to I'll, I'll have to find oh, out about that. Oh. So that's the only thing I could think of that maybe the cops are going by and they're like, that's oh, the Bermans. They're okay. Yeah. It's been like, uh, I think we got paid for this last week, Shifty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the mother made me a condom costume. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> She's got people. Wow. My, my, my police academy for birthday cake was delicious. <laughs> Citizens on Patrol, indeed. <laughs> Did Citizen on Patrol come out in 88? Oh, oh God, I hope my, so. Maybe not. Might have been 87, actually. Citizens on Patrol was 87. That's still pretty good. Because back in training was 86. <laughs> wow. Yeah, first yeah. police. They came out like every year. They, they <laughs> That studio shit them out. The first one was 84. Second one was 85. Yeah, 86, wow. 87. They did like one a year for like the first five. And then, then I think they went to Moscow at some point and it petered yes. out. I remember I had a big party uh, at my house. The invitees were me and my uh, videotaped tapes off of television of Star <laughs> Trek. <laughs> Because by this time, I had discovered that if I if I set my VCR for two or three a.m. and and if I also hit the hit the button on my uh, boombox at the right time, I can tape both Star Trek, the original Star Trek, because it only played in the middle of the night on Channel Eleven, and I could also tape Doctor Demento if I hit it uh, off off my uh, my boombox at just the right time. So I was going back and forth between Star Trek original Trek. And re and discovering that series, and of course uh, the great Doctor Demento. Did you guys listen to Doctor Demento growing up? Little bit, 
little bits here and there. And I know, so is that how you got into uh, to Weird Al? Because I know mm. you're a huge Weird Al fan. Absolutely. A um, couple of us had Weird Al in 3D, but of course, Dr. Demento played everything. But that's yeah. where you would hear, you know, fish heads, fish heads. Fish heads you hear that yeah. song yeah. and dead puppies aren't much fun and uh, <laughs> all these all these crazy songs. But it would be on so late you know, I had to tape it. I had to tape it before <laughs> I had to hit record before going to bed. And then it would, it would, t- you know, if you turned your, the volume on your boom box all the way down, it would still record, which yeah. is awesome. It would still record to the, to the actual tape. So I got those extra long play tapes so that I could record yeah. the whole thing. Oh my God. Dr. D Meadow. And he'd do the funny five at the end. Um, I started to discover my parents' um, comedy albums at yeah. this time. They had all the Cosby stuff, which yeah. I mean, for a kid was was very fun. I mean, he's sure. a, you know, a maniac, monstrous maniac now. Oh, I was obsessed with his stuff. I mean, I oh, would yeah. listen to it like religiously, like studying. Me too, it Jason. When I was me a too. Kid. Oh yeah, yeah. We yeah. had Why Is There Air, and we had uh, where he's holding the the volleyball yeah. on the cover. We had yeah. that, um, and we had uh, we had all of his albums. The one Revenge. where he talks to God. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. yeah. He has a whole thing where he's Noah and God, and he's talking. Yes, to God. yes, yes. The Noah's Ark sketches. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. There's yeah. one called Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow, right? That might be That's the one. The that one. The Noah's Ark stuff is on. It's all yep. the big pink lettering on yep. it, and yep. a little picture yep. of him. Yeah. Yes. One, so wonderfulness. That. that was another. Wonderfulness. One that, was that was one I could He's on the go kart. Yeah. yeah. I, they, they were <laughs> fucking brilliant. They were brilliant. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. Live comedy albums. Again, you just put them on. Monster, but. Yeah. All right, Jason, how many uh, hot seniors were you dating at this point? Um, Since that's sort of what you did. That was your no, thing I, in high school. Well, what part of um, Can't Buy Me Love was your life at this point? <laughs> Which act of that movie? I was... Uh- <laughs> I was a, I was very happy go lucky. This this day the date of these movies, uh, January fifteenth, eighty eight. It was my birthday. The fifteenth mm. is my birthday, and I went. To, I was at the uh, opening night of Good Morning Vietnam. I went to see the, the see it on opening night with all my friends. I was doing. I was rehearsing Godspell. I was playing Jesus in Godspell. We were in rehearsals for that, and uh, wow. and the whole cast. It was like it's a ten person cast, and all it was like. My best friends at school were all in that with me. Um, my friend Steve Stern and Ray Hernandez and Scott San Pietro and Carla Gill and Cindy Kinselberg and Jennifer Watson and Serena Vash and Victor Blas and Marlo Cohen. Yeah. And I think that's everybody. Um, <laughs> wow. And did you do it with wonderful. the full clown makeup? Conceits? No, we didn't do any. We didn't do any okay. clown makeup. But it was great. It was a great. I mean, I don't know if it was a great. I, I had a great experience doing it, you know, so long ago. I loved it. I was very nervous about it because it was the most difficult thing I had sung at that point. You know, um, I was really What's surprised. What's the big to get number of that show? Well, I can't. There's I can't. so many. Day Jesus by is just all right most, by me. I think. I, is no, that from that? No, no, I'm kidding. That's a Doobie Brothers song. Oh shit! Day by day is probably the most famous song that's on that, and that's a, and my friend Isn't Carla God sang that. Yeah, God Save the People. Guy, I love. Yeah. yeah, I love that song. I, I love oh, that show. Okay. I wasn't. Uh, I'm still not dating anyone. Still pretty sexless. My existence, but <laughs> so you got to wait to get your Tevia for that. Well, yeah. I had yes, but I did. At have, this point, you're only Jesus. Tevia trumps right. Jesus. Tevia is much sexier than Jesus. But the, d- the date with for my junior prom, which was a few months away, that had been in place for the better part of a year at that point. You know, so I was I was still scheduled to go to the junior prom with a senior. <laughs> The kick line, the kick line captain, this girl, uh, Laura Daruga, she's she's a wonderful person. We're friends on Facebook. She's a nurse now. Um, 
married, has these beautiful children, and uh, she's like a frontline worker who um, has been wonderful. doing really wonderful things at this really awful time. And But she's a wonderful person. And yeah, that was, so I had that, it was almost like, you know, you're like looking forward to I was like, I was just a very happy guy this year because I knew I was like, I have this awesome date for my junior prom coming up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing stand-up at this point. I was doing oh it my at God. Like, the comedy club in uh, Huntington, Eastside Comedy Club. I was what would have been a signature there. bit from this time? Oh, what was your really closer? Good. What was yeah, your closer? Close on? Oh, my God. I don't and remember. And fuck my... all of you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I, I honestly, honestly don't remember what the material was. There was some stuff that I did then. I, like, resurrected when I started doing it. At, like, when I was doing uh, stand-up in the city and at Caroline's and stuff. Because I remember. Nice. I, I remember I, I always had bits about. Saturday morning cartoons and Popeye and Fat Albert and stuff like that. I think I think that had always continued. And I had started and I some variation on that I was doing back in high school. I remember that about like the you know the you know silly stuff like you're talking about how the Fat Albert's voice would immediately change drastically when he would go. I'm gonna sing a song for you. <laughs> very very white. Uh, <laughs> and there'd, there'd always be these kids like all of a sudden they're taking these stuff from the junkyard and making them instruments on the spot like i've got a i got a hot water bottle and a, a, a radiator let's make some music i've got a i've got a rusty mattress spring and half of a cat let's see what we can do with this i remember that i remember you saying half of a cat and you started college. those jokes in high school i i did material on fat albert in high school but i don't think i had those lines are the more recent ones i don't think what i had was very funny i think it was just like people were like look at this look at this little uh shithead coming up here and like <laughs> thinking he can do comedy and getting on stage and doing some stupid voices. If a fat Albert joke works in high school, that joke's for keeps. You keep that. And, and indeed I did. And indeed you lived up to your reputation as master of the segue. <laughs> that was masterful. That, that was really truly. Was. I can see masterful. that coming. Oh, no, that he's, was, I was, re- oh, that no, was he's like such a reach. He's listening to my whole cast of Godspell. He's like, say something interesting, you dumb fuck. So I can just segue. He's like, who cares? Not at all. That was my nod to you. I'm like, I, Fred, Fred's always, I'm always like, I had some friends and we did a thing. Fred's like, I was with uh, Joshua Kleinberg and, blah, and then my, my babysitter, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and then the social security number. I mean, it's just <laughs> everything. So I was trying and to Suds, like. Suds was there. He always mentioned Suds. 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 Was Suds yeah. why you had to get another keg? I was going to ask. No. Well, that what they call no. Them, Suds? It's, it's funny. I was just talking to Suds' brother. Come on. And asking him, like, and he still calls him Suds. I'm like, I think it's hysterical that you call your own brother Suds. Is his still, brother's name Soapy? Day. Soapy and Suds? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. To this day, I don't know why his name was Suds, but it was Suds. We uh, called him Suds. For keeps. <laughs> so romantic, you two going off together, alone together for the first time. Okay, it was red, and now it's pink. Positive. So it's positive. It's not positive good, positive bad. Of course we can do it. Our parents did. Everybody's parents did it. We're gonna do it anyway. So we'll just do it sooner. Right. What is this? The Sonny and Cher show? It's Thanksgiving. How can you tell them on Thanksgiving? I'm pregnant. Can you pass the turnips?
Young high school couple Darcy Elliott, played by Molly Ringwald, and Stan Babrush, I think that's how you say his name, played by Randall Battenkoff, I think that's how you say that name, are one year away from graduation, with promising futures ahead of them. But their paths take a drastic turn when Darcy becomes pregnant. Unwilling to go through an abortion or an adoption, despite their parents' pleas, Darcy and Stan decide to sacrifice their college experiences and degrees in order to keep and raise the baby. The film, which is essentially Papa Don't Preach the movie, earned $4.8 million over its opening weekend en route to a total box office take of $17.5 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of For Keeps? I remember seeing it on cable. When, and I, the, ah. the, it, yeah, I didn't see it when it, you know, when it was in the theaters, but I remember seeing it on cable a lot. And I was, I don't want to say I was obsessed with it. That's, that's not the right oh, word, wow. but it was one of those curious movies that when it was on, I would find myself watching it. And, and maybe because it was such a, it was so different from stuff I'd seen Molly Ringwald do in just the sense that it was, you know, it was showing another side of the teen experience, including pregnancy. It was sort of a, a, a darker, deeper look at that persona that she played. Mm. You know, I rewatched it and I remember when it was done, the first thing I did was I gave the TV screen the finger. <laughs> <laughs> so one would think that I did not like it, but I, I gave it a big fuck you. And then in thinking about it. Flipped I, the bird. You flipped at the bird. Yeah, I, I'm going to go back, though, because, you know, the the movie's got a lot of heart. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great film. I was shocked that John Avidson directed it. Yeah, and when you say heart, that's the guy who's behind Rocky, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He know, he knows heart. The guy who knows heart, for sure. Yeah. You know, what I, what I appreciated about it is... You know, when it first started, I sort of found both characters slightly unbearable. Mm -hmm. uh, in the wait, hold on, no, no, no. Let's let's go back. Go ahead. The first thing that I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Was, you know, they the the conceit. They're they're going on a camping trip. Right. They start to make out in the rain, and then yeah. there's a POV shot yeah. of the camera going through the vaginal canal. Into oh, Molly Ringwald's uterus. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, you're in Randall Battenkoff's vas deferens for a good <laughs> for a good thirty seconds. <laughs> then you're inside her. Then you cut to her Molly Ringwald cervix being yes. blasted with. I mean, it's it's a clinical shot, but I mean, it, it's, it, it was it, shocking. It, wow, it, wow, it was wow. not pleasant. No. no, and they, you know, they do that in the beginning. I'm like, where have I seen this before? And they go, oh, look who's, look talking. who's talking. That's how it yes. starts. But it's yeah. funnier. There's a different, yeah. you know, you hear the voices, and and there was, there, there's a, there's a different bent on it. This was just way whoa. My dinner with Andre also starts that way, strangely. <laughs> <laughs> and Wallace Shawn's vast deference. Yeah, you shoot through there, and you end up on the table. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just a mess. Snow Dog starts like that too, and I have no idea why. I think yeah. we all know why. It was it was in it was in Cuba Gooding's contract. <laughs> We're gonna make this real. We gotta know where these dogs come from. Show me the vast difference. <laughs> Show me the vast difference between the way. <laughs> between an Oscar-winning performance and this. There's a vast, vast difference. Vast difference, more like vast difference. <laughs> this movie's four keeps. But I didn't like it. 
But what I appreciated about it, I think, and thank God they did this, was the turn it takes in the middle. Because, you know, in the beginning, they're, they're just stupid. They're these stupid mm-hmm. kids who are like, we can do this, we can do this. And I, I did appreciate once the baby is born that it becomes, it's it's graphic. I mean, Molly Ringwald is like going, it's ripping, it's tearing, it's burning. Like, I, I couldn't figure out the tone of the movie. The That's what it was. it's all over the place. It, yeah. I don't know who the movie's for. I kept, we kept, Kate and I kept watching. We were like, who is this for? Who's supposed to enjoy it? Who's supposed to want to watch it? It's like, is this supposed to be a com? I don't know what it is. I can't tell what the movie is. It's not, it ain't funny. It's I mean, not it's, funny, but it's, it's not, described everywhere few. as a romantic comedy. Because they don't sure. know what else, because it's got, because totally it's not, it's not drama. It's so funny seeing this movie and Moonstruck in the same week because Moonstruck is a, is a, we'll get to it. It's a romantic comedy that knows that it is in essence a fable, right? Yes. And this, I think there are times it wants to be a fable and it wants to say, this is the, the sort of fairy tale version of young romance. And then there are times that it's like. Um, wants to be hyper realistic. I mean, that's a real, you know, it sure as hell looks like they cut to a shot of a real newborn baby being born. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, so, so there's times it's hyper, super realistic and other times as well. But then it makes it, then it makes another, it makes another turn towards Randall Badenkoff basically doing Stanley Kowalski. Yeah. You know, for the Zach Galligan is Stanley Kowalski. Oh That's what my I wrote. God. You, you read my mind. I was like, this guy's Zach Galligan with, 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 with he's, 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 he's just Zach Gal. He's just less Galligan. He doesn't even, you can't even fit. He, there's less of him. You know, he's standing outside. First of all, he's sitting shirtless. I was like, if he, if he puts Put on, on a wife shirt. beater at this point, I was like, he's drinking 20 ounce cans of old Milwaukee and going, nah, I'm going out. You know, I'm like, when did the five minutes earlier, he's like, ooh, chiku, chiku with his baby and, and making <laughs> jokes about how much the baby is pooping. This movie had no idea what it wanted to be. He's, and, he's so, so they just unbelievable. Everything. Yeah, you it's, can't believe him. It's so unbelievable. It's like watching Bugsy Malone. It's like watching like <laughs> a little kid pretending to be an adult. That's how he's acting it. Like, he's like, there I've seen go. like. A 57-year-old before. I'm going to pretend I'm 57. <laughs> they so, seem to the act like this. At the kitchen table. Yeah. Hunched over, drinking my beer. I'm going I, out. God, how many... D- you called them dumb earlier. They're like these dumb kids. Everybody's dumb in this thing. There are no smart yeah. people. What principle no. of a school in their right mind, the rationale for her to be to not be in the high school anymore is... Other people will get the idea that getting pregnant is cool it's because cool. they admire you. What? I had to rewind that. I was like, that that's <laughs> the rationale is that people will be inspired to go get pregnant or to impregnate others because they will look up to you and they'll go, hey, she's pregnant. She's popular. And the editor of the school newspaper, I was editor of the school newspaper. No one in 12 <laughs> counties thought that was cool. <laughs> then the mother is like, she, she's, she just gave birth. She just gave birth. The mother finally goes oh, to the hospital. I wrote, after that scene, I wrote, what a, I said, what a piece of shit selfish yeah. mom. And fuck yeah. this movie because the mom goes there and is like, now we can go to Paris. Your daughter just just gave birth. You yeah. can't 
comfort her in any way, shape, or form. You're a hard, it made us. It made me hate every parent. It made me hate the two yeah. of them. I hated these characters. I found it so depressing. I, I found the movie so so depressing. I, yeah. I wrote, this is one of the most visually depressing films we've watched, and I'm counting seven. And I'm not oh. sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not even sure why that is. Just everything uh, about it made me sad and wow. uh, and annoyed. And you know, and, and and you know, the tone is all. It's like, yeah, okay, oh well. Yeah, postpartum depression. It's a it's a punchline. She's the little girl says hmm, postpartum depression as if that's a laugh line, which is disturbing. The Molly Ringwald's <laughs> laying there, semi comatose, and you got fucking Pauly Shore showing up like eating cheese doodles. There, talking. Yes. I was like, what is this movie? I don't need the son-in-law in here or whatever the fuck he is. What what is his movie career? Uh, Encino Boy, <laughs> whatever. Encino Man showed up. He's the weasel. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't. I don't need any of it. I. I. I, I really. I got nothing with this movie. I got nothing. I. I really. I thought when when they when they both started to work, when they both got their jobs, that's when it got very sad to me. Like seeing her, you know, taking out the garbage yes. and the, and and th- that was where I thought. To me, I, I guess I thought that was sort of the point and what they were trying to show again to show that dichotomy between <laughs> this. You know, here here's the you know the old Molly Ringwald like the high school comedies that you're used to and you know we can do it they're the couple that's in love and they they can do anything because they're young and they have a baby but this is the reality of it but right. it just didn't. He gets into Caltech and it's like, okay, dude, dude, there's your ticket out, out of here, not out of the relationship or out of being a father, right. but it's your ticket. Any kid would know that that's their ticket to potentially having a good life for what is now your, your, your family that you have. Yeah. To I got, I got, when he crumpled up that letter, I, I, I got almost as angered as when I heard Trump give that speech the other day. Like I, I was, I was like, are you fucking, are you yeah. a fucking idiot? Yeah. That was my mm-hmm. fuck you movement moment to this movie too, Fred. It, it just didn't seem plausible. And I no. get it that they're trying to play up the fact that their kids and they're idealistic and they, they're, they're not, you know, they're, 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 their front cortex isn't developed enough to make <laughs> rational decisions, but that just seemed, insulting. That seemed crazy to me. That just, yeah, yeah I, I didn't buy it. It's insulting it to all. the young. And then you look at, you know, you look mm. at the John Hughes movies and, and we've been back and forth about John Hughes a lot, but he's never insulting to the young. It's like, yeah. it was like, there was a contest. Two people, two directors make this movie with the same cast <laughs> and the same, all the same, that make to make a movie and we'll see which one's better. And then they're like, gosh, it's kind of, they're both shit, and uh, this one's a little more this, and this one's a little... Let's stitch them together and make a Franken movie, and that's what they did. For, it's a Franken movie. It keeps going back. It's like, well, they got a better take of this, so let's let's have postpartum depression scenes, but then also let's have silly scenes where, you know, the, the mom's like, let's go to Paris. I can't wait. And, you know, and like cute kids making funny faces. Right after she holds the baby and is like, hi, you. Hello. Yeah, well, that was the other director. Okay, (laughs) she's fine. Yeah, that's what I mean. Director A was like, okay, we're going to have this touching, caring moment where grandma meets granddaughter and she finds her heart melts and she finally... She puts the baby down. She goes into Molly Ringworld's room and she's like, time to go to Paris. And you go, no, 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 you dumb fuckers. Yeah, this was a very frustrating movie. Honey, promise me you're not going to have this baby. Right now, the whole world is your oyster. Oh, yeah? What about my son's oysters, huh? 
He's got this brilliant career ahead of him, designing schools and churches and shit. I really like Molly Ringwald. I really yeah. like her. And she's sort of back now. She's on Riverdale. She's great on it. She plays Archie's mom. Um, and she's been out of the scene for, you know, in and out of the scene for for so long. She's done a bit of theater in the interim and stuff. But, but you know, um, I, I, I really... I see, whenever I see a 80s Molly Ringwald movie, I go, boy, that's a fucking superstar right there. She, you know, she's not she's not virtuosic. You know, she's a, she's not streep, but you can see why she was a mega star of that of that era. And anytime she was on, I was I was interested. But Randall Battenkoff, Lord have mercy, he's bad. Why in the hell are you buying disposable diapers? What's wrong with the cloth kind like my mom used on me, huh? They, I would have preferred Galligan. I would have preferred John Cryer. We talked about him a few weeks ago. I would have preferred any of these, any of these, you know, get with, with the exception of Andrew McCarthy, who I loathe, any of these eighties, <laughs> any of these eighties. What do you I would have, have against liked- Andrew McCarthy? Oh no, 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 Fred. No, 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 no. What no, do you no, have no. against Andrew McCarthy? No, he, 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 have you ever had, um, 1% milk, not 2%. Have you ever had 1% milk? <laughs> I have. I had some this morning. Okay. That's Andrew McCarthy. Okay. <laughs> Two percent milk, milk is Eric Stoltz. Full milk, Sean Penn. Sean Penn is full milk. And he played milk, so that's perfect. <laughs> he played milk. <laughs> that's why he played milk. Oh my god. Because <laughs> he's milk. What did I give? <laughs> we don't know. Disorderly? You Keep, always go back to disorderly. Yeah. No, that sort no, of like this isn't a disor- no, this isn't disorderly. You give it a level. soggy half of a pancake. I'm gonna th- yeah, that's the one of the that's among the worst. She's the one is probably second worst. Um what did what did I give um that John Cryer thing? And I'm gonna Damon, go, can you go back and let us know what <laughs> Yeah. Who's doing the who's in charge of making the transcripts of this podcast? That's what I want to know. <laughs> who's making the transcript? Damon. I was thinking, it. I was like, I need I need Damon to like uh, add these Sheila's up for yeah. us because I'm I'm very I, curious. I can't give this I can't give this much higher than I gave the John Cryer to me more thing, which I think was a little wor- was a little worse. So I'll go one higher than that. I think I gave that three three. I'll give this a four. I'm just gonna give it a four. I'm not gonna compare and contrast. <laughs> You're and right. go through my spreadsheets. I'm just gonna say it was a four. I'm giving four it. Uh, I'm giving it two point five shows. Two point five shows. I'm not sure wow. what. What? Yeah, I'll give two point four of those <laughs> to the director of the Karate Kid, and I will give the point one <laughs> to the director of the next Karate Kid, who I think did the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to grab both kids and say, "Snap out of it! Stop it! What's the matter, you? You look so sad. What are you gonna do? You're gonna gonna do Moonstruck. Isn't it romantic? You got a love bite on your neck. Your life's going down the toilet. You'll have your eyes open for you, my friend. I have my eyes open. I'll say no more. You haven't said anything. You ruined my life. That's impossible. You ruined my life. Look, it's Cosmo's moon. Why do men chase women? Nerves. I don't want to talk about it. That moon. That crazy moon. Now you don't. I love you. What? Snap out of it. I'm confused.
Loretta Castorini, played by Cher in an Oscar-winning performance, is an Italian-American widow who lives at home with her parents Cosmo and Rose, played by Best Supporting Actor nominee Vincent Gardinia and Best Supporting Actress winner Olympia Dukakis. Loretta no sooner accepts a marriage proposal from boyfriend Johnny Camareri, played by Danny Aiello, than she finds herself falling for Johnny's younger brother Ronnie, played by Nicolas Cage. She tries to resist, but Ronnie, who lost his hand in an accident he blames on his older brother, has no scruples about aggressively pursuing her while Johnny is out of the country. As Loretta falls deeper in love, she comes to learn that she's not the only one in her family with a secret romance. Moonstruck's screenplay, written by playwright John Patrick Shanley, won an Oscar and bears some striking resemblances to Shanley's play Italian-American Reconciliation, which ran off-Broadway later that same year, and which I performed in at Hofstra with our good friends Pete Giambalvo, Annette Praviti, Nini Camps, and Heidi Jean Weinrich. Gotta get all the names in. Uh, both suds pieces, in it? I'm just sorry. Suds, suds catered it. Both pieces... <laughs> Both pieces have an operatic spirit, exploring the joys and pains of their tight-knit ethnic communities, while also examining themes of superstition and luck and middle-aged fears of loneliness and death. The film earned $5 million in its first weekend of wide release, with a total haul of $80 million when all was said and done. Fred and Dan, we know that when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a more, but... What do you think of Moonstruck? <laughs> I got a one sentence about a Moonstruck. That's a spicy meatball. <laughs> Is that from this movie? I didn't watch it. I'm just kidding. Oh. It's a mama, it's a princess spaghetti day. Every day is a Sunday at Carvel. That can't be right. <laughs> the the uh, best thing. Here's the best thing that happened in my, Okay. Some bad things happened this week. This was a very good thing that happened this week. I never really liked this movie. Um, I thought it was one of those thing, one of those movies that, you know, actually depicted Italian American families in a not demeaning way, but in an oh come on way, or enough already with the with the with the oh they're so um, uh, they they can't control their emotions or whatever. You know, I, I had a negative. I attached a lot of negative feeling to this movie for for a while, um, but. I also think I was too young to get it, to really understand it, to really appreciate it. Um, certainly too young to appreciate the artistry of the of Shanley's screenplay. Definitely couldn't make head or tail of what the masterful performance Cher was giving. Mm -hmm. I remember when she won the Oscar, I was like, "What, really? All right, <laughs> okay. Well, she, they're just giving it to her because she's a star. It's a, it's a, it's she's using a scalpel in this fucking thing. She's and we'll talk about it. She's yeah. tremendous in it. Nicholas K. I don't know, but um, <laughs> iffy. He's iffy for me. I agree. But, uh, but it's it's early in his career. It's a young young part of his career. But um, I've done a one eighty on this movie. I I, I really love it. Uh, I think it takes Yay. the romantic comedy genre and um, changes it, twists it, alters it. You know, elevates it. And um, I think it's a fable. You know, she goes to the Cinderella Absolutely. hair salon. It's a, it's a, it's a fable yeah. meets a parable. But they, they, and the everything that Nicolas Cage says to her when they're standing outside and it starts to snow, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous moment that I think yeah. now that I'm elderly and sentimental, it just hit me so hard yeah. watching that. And he says, "We are here to ruin ourselves, and and to break our hearts." and love the wrong people and and die i mean that the storybooks are bullshit 
I think it's gorgeous. Cher, my God, she's she's fucking she's Brutus in this thing. She's trying to be stoic. She doesn't want to yeah. talk about it. She says it 40 million times. She doesn't want to feel. She doesn't yeah. want to feel. So she's playing against trying to feel the whole time. And meanwhile, yeah. it's there. Every bit of it's there. It's it's so scary what she's doing it's fabulous it's it's so good i i really noticed it in this rewatch i've seen this movie more times than i can count it's one of my top 10 favorite Aww. movies yeah oh good and That's i loved hell. it when i saw it in in junior year of high school i saw it with my friends and i saw i saw it probably you know it came out the same day as good morning vietnam but i probably saw it like the following week or something like that you know um and I remember loving it then. And I went and saw it th maybe three times in the theater because uh, I saw wow. it with friends. And then I saw it with family at least once or twice. I know going to see it with my mom and grandmother and 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 hearing them laugh at it. You know, the Italian-American relatives laughing at it was was a big thing for me imprinting on me. But um, yeah, but something you said there about how hard she's trying not to feel. There's that moment very, very, very early on where she's because she's an rose? accountant. She's doing yeah, she's she's doing the books yeah. and the, the, the yep. florist chop and and the florist uh. is talking about the flowers and she's like ah, it's just going to go in the garbage. Who cares? Who cares? Yes, she's against flowers because it's like a, it's a waste and it's not practical, right? But yeah. really, she's against flowers because nobody gives her flowers. So he pulls out the one rose and he gives it to her. And she melts and she's like, she smells it and she thanks him. She doesn't say, what am I going to do with this? She doesn't throw it in the car. It's that she wants she to. She wants yeah, to feel I'm it. I'm so she glad you that. brought that up. That was the moment that, and it, you're right, it's so early. And I've never seen this movie start from finish all <gasps> the way through before. Oh my yeah. God, I've never seen it before. It's one of Kate's favorite movies. Her entire family, they know it word yes. for word. <laughs> in fact, one of, one of the joys of watching it this time with her, of just watching it, was hearing Kate laughs so much especially at vincent gardenia oh, yes i mean every line that, that's like us with ted knight and caddyshack like when i watch that <laughs> every line he says i laugh and hearing kate laughs so boisterously i gotta at watch everything this gardenia says she knows it word for word and her family they yeah. go back and forth and and you know they, they they say the lines to each other so what's your news i'm getting married again yeah you did the sweat before it didn't work out. But the guy died. And what killed him? He got hit by a bus. No, bad luck. Your mother and I were married 52 years. Nobody died. You were married, what, two years? Somebody's dead. Don't get married again, Loretta. It don't work out for you. It starts with them showing, you know, you call this a fable, which it definitely is. But it starts, one of the first shots in the movie and the first scenes is showing uh, at the Met and they're, you know, the IATSE guys are packing yeah. up all the opera scenery. And it's almost saying, this is an opera. Yes. We are, we yeah. are, we're building, we're building the scenery and the set to begin this grand opera. And that's what it is. That's it's it. so, and I was reading something where Jewison was saying that he was comparing Shanley's writing to Arias, you know, and Vincent Gardini's like the baritone and, mm. and Olympia Dukakis's the, the, the contra alto. And then they, it all sort of comes together in that last scene oh, as this great, you know, symphony I of all the voices. Scene. It's so good. I, I, it's funny, even <laughs> the, the more I think about the movie, the more I really appreciate it and love it. Because even when I watched it the other night with Kate, I liked it. But I feel like it had to sit. It was like a good sauce. So it was yeah. better the next. It's better the next day, you know, a day old bread dipping it in there. Uh, That's good. I I just loved all the characterizations. I loved the family members, and you know, and knowing your grandparents and your family, Jason, I could see. Oh yeah. 
why this would be it's it's like it's watching such a close movie to you it's like watching my family it's like watching <laughs> members of my family there's stuff yeah. there's stuff of vincent gardini i'm sure it's like for kate i'm sure she sees whether it was her dad or some relative in there you know i, oh, yeah. I see parts of my grandfather in him I see the and, and, and the the aunt and uncle who are brilliant. They but were they my favorites. Louis terrific. Gus and Julie Bovasso. I think Julie Bovasso terrific. as the uh, as Rita as the aunt is, they the, were great. is maybe the is the funniest character in the movie. Is maybe one of the strongest performances in the movie, and they're all brilliant. Wake up! What? Look! Oh, hmm. it's Cosmo's moon. What are you talking about? Cosmo can't own the moon. It's that moon I was talking about at dinner. Is he down there? Is he down there? Cosmo. Well, what would he be doing down there? I don't know. You know something? In that light, with that expression on your face, you look about 25 years old. Everybody's yeah. brilliant, except I will say, I agree with you, Dan. And even as much as I love this movie and as many times as I've seen it and I've gone back and forth, when I was younger, I was like, ugh, Nicolas Cage. Now right. I've warmed slightly, but I still am not crazy about him because I think everybody else is kind of modulating in such a way that you're right, because this is heightened. This is this yes. is an opera. Yeah. It is a fable. It is kind of a play. It's it's a screenplay by a playwright and you can feel it. It's, it's, there's, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a slightly heightened. It's lyrical. It's romantic. It's a little slightly fantastical. You can't see what you are and I see everything. You're a wolf. I'm a wolf. Yeah. You know, the, the big part of you has, has no words and, uh, it's a wolf. You know, that woman was a trap for you. She caught you and you couldn't get away. So you, you chewed off your own foot. That was the price you had to pay for your freedom. You know, Johnny had nothing to do with it. You did what you had to do between you and you. And now, now you're afraid because you know the big part of you is a wolf that has the courage to bite off its own hand to save itself from the trap of the wrong love. I was talking to Kate about it today. She doesn't like him in it at all. She's like, he's stiff. He's stiff. I don't buy anything that he's saying, mm, which I, I was surprised at because I know she loves the she's movie not wrong. so much. She's really not wrong. I, I, I appreciate yeah. that he he makes those grand gestures and he makes those big choices. And, you know, again, that's part of the character. I mean, I really like, you know, there's the scene when you first meet him and the woman's like, he's the most tortured man <laughs> yeah. I've ever met. You know, yeah. it's, it's setting it up again. It's setting up the fact that this is going to be operatic and over the top. Well, he loves opera. Big, it's the only reason yeah, why they go opera. to the opera is because of him. So it's almost like yeah. he's, he's living in this, you know, this cloud of opera and like heightened emotions and <laughs> yeah. wanting to express it. And so maybe that's what it is. Maybe his character is automatically bigger than the rest because of that. I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. You want me to take my heartbreak, put it away and forget it? She's so good. I, I I actually think she's she's more beautiful before her transformation. I mean, she's she's gorgeous when she goes through the transformation. <laughs> yeah. That, now, no, now she's that's stunning. That's another thing that I wasn't crazy about. I like the the actual transformation scene. I like how it was done. The music was really weird. Suddenly, it was like this great, the like nice. Jazz. Yeah, that was a little odd. And I know it was a very much a product of the eighties, but it just seemed. 80s. 
but why? That was seemed such an odd choice to me. You know, they were doing all these classic, you know, everything fit. And then that movie, that music came in and it, because it was I guess kind I of awakening to being a modern woman or a contemporary woman. There was something about yeah, it that was like, yeah, you know okay. what I mean? She's like buttoned up. She's got the old, that's like that old woman's hairdo and yeah. stuff and the, the, and the yeah. sweaters and whatnot. And, and she lives with her family and she's, and she's no, she's so practical and, and it feels like she's, she's old before her time. You find that she's 37 yes. years old and, you know, kind of prematurely yeah. gray probably at that and there's something about it that yeah i agree the music is cheesy but it's also but I, I, I see what you're period. saying though. yeah it takes it takes me out a little too because i'm like they could have found better music but it's, i guess that's what it was it's just that smooth jazz late 80s thing i guess that's but interesting what you say you. about her being old before her time because you know olympia dukakis who's who's wonderful in this you know they i mean they, god they really look alike and you yes. see mm-hmm. you know she's she's going to become loretta is going to become her mom oh man give those dogs another piece of my food i'm gonna kick you till you're dead but God, yeah, but Olympia Dukakis is great. And that scene with John Mahoney. Yeah, man, I was, was, was going to bring that. I was going to bring that up and what you see what you guys um, made of that. I mean, I, I, I feel like the I, I feel like what Shanley is is doing there is, you know, she's she's a woman who and I agree with you. Dukakis is great in it. But there's a woman there who's searching right she's searching mm-hmm. for why at this point at this age after so long after so much shared and experienced and so much triumph and tragedy and whatever the things that old couples have experienced together through long decades of marriage why now is he looking elsewhere and she asks you know why do why do men chase women and, yeah. and the and she has her own conclusion about it that then you know uh, later gets Aiello. later gets confirmed, confirmed. not yeah. by John Mahoney but by Aiello, mm-hmm. uh, who's yeah. also terrific. He's in it. so he's good. Yeah. He's just like a big baby man. Yeah, and and you, which they call him that. Yeah, and and then, you're right. <laughs> he's a big baby. I took it as, and let me know what you think of this. I took it as she goes through. She has that John Mahoney experience to get her back to love, to get her back to feeling alive again so that she can then love and forgive, you know, her husband again, because she's, she's the one who at the table says, your life is not built on nothing. But she has to be tempted first in order to get back to it, I guess is what I'm saying. She has to, it has to be offered and, and be, and be part of the mix in order for her to come back to center, you know? Or maybe Maybe. she just never has to. She's just someone who knows what she wants, knows what she has. I think she sees a man that is, because again, he's, it's this middle-aged man who's, chasing young women i mean it's it's right. the it's the shanley doppelganger it's a it's a, it's a problematic right. yeah. yeah he's a, he's a problematic Professor man type. who has yeah. who is who's created a problematic character to represent yeah. him that's that's his doppelganger in the movie and <laughs> and i think she sees and she's she's intrigued by him but i think it's more to like have that conversation to, to really understand why you know when does she have conversations with men like this? You know what I mean? Like to talk about why men do the things they do. Why, right. what causes a roving eye? What is that hunger that make that one woman's not enough or the, yeah. the woman you have or, or the woman who's appropriate for you is not enough. So I, and then I do think there is that 
you know, they have a nice rapport and they have a, a nice dinner and she walks home with them. And that's that is that that um, there is a little bit of danger there and a little bit of temptation there. I think you're the right. But I don't know. Him. If, yeah, but I don't know that she needed that to get back to her husband necessarily. Okay. But but I think but that's a good point. I think it's totally valid. I think that's legit. I, I think she comes back. She comes to the realization in the moment of I know who I am. I maybe mm. didn't five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago when I was looking at you with that look, you know, it's a very, it's a very deliberate shot of like, she's looking at him like this guy is something, mm. you know? <laughs> and I think it's just beyond in intrigue. It's, it's such an interesting scene, you know? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. Why do men chase women? Nerves. I think it's because they fear death. One of our our top listeners, Tim Warenko, wrote in a, a mm. preemptive email about how much he loves this movie with some notes. And he okay. mentioned this as well. And I read about this, that Norman Jewison rehearsed the cast extensively cool. before they started the film and he rehearsed it like a play. It feels like yeah. a play. You know, where they, cool. Yeah, and, and it was very much, and I was reading that on uh, the liner notes in the DVD that I was watching, they were saying that, you know, and if someone couldn't be there, because he was like, you know, some people were rehearsing actual off-Broadway plays at the time, so if they couldn't be there, <laughs> other people would take in their take their parts and do their roles. So they all knew each other's lines, and the whole idea was just, so they knew, they all spoke the same way. They all had each other's rhythms and mm. knew how each other spoke and, you know, That's their cool. mannerisms and whatnot. And it really, I, you know, I was thinking about, and this is a real testament to Norman Jewison, and I guess he's he's very good at this because, you know, he also directed Fiddler on the Roof, and he's got a real right. flair for that feel of family and and you know and tradition, you know, literally, um, mm -hmm. and bringing and making it seem very real and and lived in. And I, I thought he did a wonderful job with that. I think it's why the last shot of the movie is the is the painting of the great great grandparents or whoever, whatever you don't yeah. even know who yeah, they are, smiling, like how many generations yeah. ago. Um, yeah, right. it's it's so. Kate's uh, dad would apparently Kate's dad would always say when that shot he would say that's what every single grandparent looked like. Yes, it's what every single that grandparent picture. looked like, and I'm t it's what every. <laughs> Italian American relative that I had in Brooklyn or Long Island. It's what their homes look like. I wanted to give a shout out oh, to yeah. Barbara Mattis and Dan Davis, the art directors for this movie. Yeah, it's beautiful. brilliant. Every scene, every shot, everything in those homes. I can't stop looking at around mm -hmm. the, the house <laughs> during this. And I'm, yes. and I'm, you know, I, I'm so compelled by the performances, but I'm like every little detail. I'm like, that's in my, my aunt Angie's house. That's my aunt Teresa's mm -hmm. house. That's my grandmother's house. That the, uh, the photos, the paintings, the wood, the brass, the texture, the stove, the yeah. wooden chairs, the, the kind of plasticky tablecloths, everything about the decor, everything about the color scheme. It's just, so. I was like, I've been in that kitchen a million times i've been in that house a million times <laughs> it's fantastic and i think it is very that the you know it's a romantic comedy but it's also about this family and it's about family in general and that's literally how the movie ends with a toast la familia and all the new even diane danny aiello is part of that family because he's mm -hmm. he's ronnie's brother and now he, they're getting married and now it's like it's widening that circle and uh i and i always i think when i was younger i loved the ending i loved the fact that the camera pans through the house and goes through a couple of different rooms before yes. it, it so it's almost like acknowledging you know that's an old house that's like acknowledging the ghost of who's 
been there before the other fa- you know that, that who knows how long that's been in the family that home that's beautiful you feel like and that's <laughs> what it is that painting is like the, the ancestors smiling down upon them it's really it's 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 beautiful and i find it very very moving very moving and to speak to your point about fables dan and uh yeah. and the fantasy of this movie there's two things about it that make me think of It's a Wonderful Life, which is another, you know, oh, a very yeah. beautiful, life-affirming uh, romantic fable. Yeah. And it's the two things are all the talk about, you know, Louis Gus plays the uncle who who talks about the dream he had about, and this dream that Cosmo pulled down the moon for you. It's the image oh, yeah. from It's a Wonderful Life about yes. George Bailey yeah, lassoing yeah. the moon yes. and bringing it to her. Moon. And then also, uh, also with the same character, Louis Gus, the, uh, the missing bag of money. That uh, they're coming in the morning, well, like with all right that. out of one. It's, oh, it's just yes! like Uncle Billy and, Uncle the, and Billy. the fear of like, oh my God, where'd the money go? Where did the money go? And that's wow. like this. That little, was a great little moment. How many shields do you give the moonstruck? The beautiful, beautiful uh, you moonstruck. Go first, friend. You I'm gonna give it this eight the shields. That's what I was gonna give, but I have <laughs> to go at eight point five because as we talk about it, I like it more and more. <laughs> oh. I mean, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I am highly tempted to give it a full out 10 Sheila. Wow. If I was going to give it any less, it would only be because I still to this day waver on Nicolas Cage. But I wouldn't take much away, maybe 0.25. So I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to give it the 10 because even he's grown on me over time. I'm giving it 10. 10 Sheila's. Guardate la bella luna. We've been struck by the moon, and now we'll get smacked in the sack with, <laughs> with the mail sack. I'm going to smack you with my sack. Who's got a mail sack today? I don't have one today. I no. got a I got a low-hanging sack. Oh. Uh, I, got a lo- I got a lot of stuff. We the got a lot guy. of stuff here. Oh, good gravy. Uh, just, I, yeah, in the last couple of episodes, just a few things that I wanted to uh, point out, That uh, some things that people wrote in. Um, I've never seen any see. of this. Why what? do I see any of this? Because you don't going? check the email. I'm the only. I'm the only person oh, who checks the. Thank you info for checking. at openingweekend.com. Oh, yeah, well, you should forward it on to us so we can uh, <laughs> tell if you're, you know, whatever manifesto you're about to read. We don't know. All right. Damon <laughs> says. <laughs> oh, speaking of Damon, let me start with Damon because I spoke to him this morning, oh. and th- he he wanted me to tell you, Dan, that he yes. just listened. He listened to the latest episode, the last episode with Leprechaun. Yes. But going back to the episode before that, he agreed with you. He thought the Leprechaun was blind as well. He (laughs) thinks that Jason and I were confusing and that you were absolutely right to confuse what we were saying and think that the Leprechaun was blind. He's out of his mind. Damon, listen more closely. Damon, thank you. Thank you for Damon, justifying. Damon, you do not want to be aligning yourself with Dan, who doesn't remember how old he is, where he works, if he saw a movie, if he has pants on, what his wife's name is. Dan remembers nothing. So don't, please don't do yourself that disservice. If ever I do a movie podcast of some kind with you guys, it would, I would be so happy to be aligned with Dame. Oh, I'm literally doing it now. Oh, the early onset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, right, then Darren. we got, we. I got an Thank email. You. Sorry, I got not an email. I got a text 
from my friend Ron Vodica, who is uh, the production stage manager at Lion King. And, uh, oh, God, the patience that man has, the patience that man has, just with me alone. Nice. Um, but he wrote in after listening to uh, episode 31, uh, where we talked about The Exorcist, and we were talking about Ooh. Max von Sydow. He just wrote, Max von Sydow, the original Wilford Brimley. <laughs> Ooh. I thought there you go because we were saying about how old he looked. How he's like, yes. Yeah, how he's looked yeah. eighty since he was forty. Yeah, because yeah. Wilfred Brimley was like twenty three right. when he did Cocoon, right? <laughs> something crazy like that. He was like forty years old or something, right? Didn't we? It was something yeah. ridiculous. Oh like, yeah, it was. It was yeah. nuts. It was when nuts. When he does China Syndrome, he looks seventy four and he's thirty. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Um, I got another thing. I sort of I mentioned this in the beginning. Let me see if I can find it about my web of lies. And I I, I thought this was fun. Uh, my friend uh, and neighbor, Dan Kuhn, who's a big fan of the show, wrote in. Because we were talking about uh, The Sting. And I, I must have mentioned that I was only aware of The Sting because of the sheet music that I got from my music teacher, Nancy Seibel. <laughs> and Dan also took piano lessons from her. And um, he was saying that uh we would always do these big recitals and there's this there's this uh, this sense of mythos that goes around some of me and my friends that I grew up with that I was always the closing they they seem to think that I always closed the recitals and would play Billy Joel songs and he wrote to my memory there was a decent opening act then like 15 horrendous performances including my own then Nancy would wake up and be like all right glad we got through that and she would start the real show with you and a few other people who had any ability and talent occasionally including a duet with herself and I said, I was saying that, I, you know, I feel like I falsely gained this reputation as being a showstopper at the, the, these recitals. And, um, you know, I, I may have had one or two closing numbers. And to that, he said, well, Fred, there's been a lot of myth building out of this podcast. It's one of the risks you run. From an early age, you were a gifted entertainment icon with a penchant for movies, along with a tenuous grasp on what actually happened in them. You had outrageous costumes and birthday parties. You held a membership at the Village Bathhouse under dubious circumstances. And you attempted to smuggle drugs and dildos into Mexico. <laughs> I think Dave Itzkoff should take that, and he should write. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> that's, his next, that's his next oeuvre. <laughs> Fred, a life, question mark? <laughs> what, uh, you, what you got rummaging around in your old flappy sack? <laughs> <laughs> this thing, let me just flap it open. Oh, okay. The, oh, letters. Letters from the pod squad. Okay. Oh, Finally, fantastic. letters. Quick recap. All okay. right, quick recap, I'm, I'm very quick recap. <laughs> I'm going right now. Quick recap. <laughs> they're on, finally, finally, they're on their way to the Pacific Northwest to save our Sheila from the people who are sucking the queens out of the trees up there, meaning the hornet nests of the murder hornets. Now, as we discovered last week, they are doing this for God knows what reason in some sort of cannonball run wacky races type format. Oh, um, right. That's right. And, and they've sent me they've sent me letters from the teams from each team. Oh. Okay, so we get to know who's doing what. And there's well, a little picture great. here in each in each letter. It looks like so. Open up this one here. Um, okay, Al Pacino, legendary actor. Yes, is uh, right. He's with JJ. He's with Jacob Joseph. They're together. Oh. Um, in a, and it looks like a, a Ford Escort here. And uh, they're in Salina, Kansas. And oh, you can see here, it's a picture. They've stopped at a, uh, 
looks like a, a funeral home. Oh God. And they stopped at a funeral home here and it's uh it's, you can see it's clearly early morning. It says it's a, it's a good morning to embalm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is where we're going. I don't know why they. I don't know why they felt the necessity. Oh, Eustace and Adam are together. That makes sense because he's got to keep an eye on him. Yeah, of course. Eustace, let's keep an eye on Adam because God mm-hmm. knows he tried to kill his brother. They're in uh, Segundo, Colorado. <laughs> let's see if we've got a uh, got a, a. Oh, they're oh look at that. They're at a. They're at a lovely spa. Oh, they've pulled <laughs> oh, over to be a spa. Nice. They said it's a. It's a good morning to be calm oh that's that's nice isn't that nice and adam needs it adam does he really does i think that's why eustace took him there that's lovely he he needs a good morning to oh see that's good (laughs) as well oh he wrote that on the back here see oh there we go good Are any of them driving in a buggy? I picture one of the, like, in, in a buggy, like that old, what was the old Hanna-Barbera race? Uh, yes. Uh, right. I, like, I a thing's going like. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean like speed buggy? Yeah, speed yeah, like buggy. A speed buggy, buggy yeah. Well, Eustace and Adam are in a, uh, in a, in a, uh, looks like a big, big uh, uh, Cadillac convertible here. It's like a Cadillac mm. Brougham or one of those. It's a big, mm. big, uh, big honk with, you know, with big uh, Texas Longhorns on the front of it. it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, Geppetto, and Tote. Oh, they're they're, <laughs> Jeez. they're cramped into a into a VW bug here. Looks oh like it's, God. it's wow. got the Italian flag messy. on it. It must be uh, must be Geppetto's. <laughs> Geppetto. Yeah, looks like he's driving. Uh, they're in uh, South Sioux City, Nebraska. Let me check. Do you know who that is? I can't see. Hold on. I don't have my glasses. <laughs> it's a picture of my mother. Picture of my mother, Kathy. Who's it? Good from Jack. Good morning to your mom. You son of a bitch. He doesn't even know my mother. He does not know my mother, and he's not with my mother. My mother's in New Jersey. Photograph of her. I know. And he sent it to you. Yeah, as if he's with her. He's sick. 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 Why is she traveling? Is she wearing a mask in the picture? She's not. She's not not, with them. It's just an old picture. I just found an old picture that Jack Nicholson had. Good morning to your mom. Disgusting. Jack Nicholson, you stop it. All right, now there's one more. Well, no, wait, that's the whole pod squad. That's everybody, right? With the exception of Sheila. So why do I have a letter here from Star Valley Ranch, Wyoming? Mm. Oh, boy. Open this up. Oh, God. No, not again. Not oh. again. Is it another dead one? It's, it's, it's five or six, there's 10 of them. Oh Ew. God, it's like 10, Ew. 20 of them. Dead hornets. Oh my oh, God. God. Dan. That's disgusting. Wait, there's a letter here. Oh, God. Disgusting. It says, it says here. Oh, oh, it's written. Oh, it's written in like a rant, like he cut out little ransom note letters Uh-oh. out of a, out of a magazine here. Oh, no, no. Hey, the great thing about sucking out hornet nests is that in each nest there's one million per <laughs> QS. It's this fucking QS again. Can you believe this? One million per. One million per. Oh, and then at the bottom so it says, ooh, <laughs> written out. In the little magazine cutouts? Yes. Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo. Wow. <laughs> One million per. One million per. Wow. This is, this is a mystery. This is crazy. This is a complete 
baffling mystery at this point. All we can hope. Well, okay, that came from Wyoming. So that's headed. That's further along. This this QS is further so along. Wherever that is, they're closer to Sheila. That's what uncomfortably I'm close to Sheila. But right. Yikes. So listen, subscribe five stars. That's a given. Okay. That's a given at this point, people. You listen, you subscribe, you hit the five stars. But these pod squad, if you're listening, Jack, Tote, Al, JJ, Geppetto, Eustace, Adam, the rest of you, get the hell up there. Stop fucking around. You got to get there in advance of this QS madman, this supervillain who's clearly making his way there. I'm tired of this. Get up there, pod squad. We're with you. We're on your side, but you got to get their advance of this quick QS <laughs> like, person. And th- you're threatening them, but also <laughs> expressing Encouraging. support. Encouraging. <laughs> yeah, yeah give me a pat on the back. You can do it, but don't fuck no. up. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it, sucking the queens is almost like robbing them. Williams, oh. I'm bad at the segways. I'm bad oh. at the segways. No, no, no. You You're, are so that's very good. good. Second Queens, Robin Queens. That's good. <laughs> that's all right. I got it. I'm His character's it from Queens in the movie. Boom. It all mixed together. <laughs> it's all, to it all tenuously. comes together. Good morning, Vietnam. Picture a man going on a journey beyond sight and sound. He's entered the demilitarized zone. Good morning, Vietnam! Wow! I Time to rocket from the Delta to the DMZ. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God. It's Mr. Leo. You know, this whole camouflage thing for me doesn't work very well. Why is that? Well, because you go in the jungle, I can't see you. If you're going to fight, clash. That is not what we program here. Surprise! Surprise! Radio funnyman Adrian Cronauer, played by Robin Williams, is sent to Vietnam to bring a little comedy back into the lives of the soldiers. After setting up shop, Cronauer delights the GIs but shocks his superior officers, including Bruno Kirby and J.T. Walsh, with his irreverent take on military conflict. Amidst multiple attempts to censor his broadcasts, Cronauer begins teaching English to a group of Vietnamese students and pursues a relationship with a local girl named Trin, all as the police action in Vietnam escalates to full-on war. Robin Williams earned Good Morning Vietnam's sole Oscar nomination for Best Actor, and the film's success launched him into the Hollywood A-list stratosphere. With an $11.8 million opening weekend and a total box office take of $124 million. Before we take a dive into our thoughts about the film, we're going to play a little bit of our interview from earlier this evening with Robin Williams biographer Dave Itzkoff, a culture reporter for the New York Times, who wrote uh, the biography of Robin Williams that our own Fred Berman uh, recorded the audiobook for. Here's a little bit of our conversation with Dave now, and then we'll get back to you with our thoughts on Good Morning Vietnam. Well, so I'll, these guys know, but but Dave wrote an, a, an amazing biography mm-hmm. about Robin Williams called Robin that I had the the honor and privilege yeah, of narrating the audiobook version. Thanks. That was, man, I remember when I got the call for that, I was oh cool thrilled. It was so exciting, and Great. it was uh, it was a joy to read. Thank you, Fred. Uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. And Fred, as I was reading it, because I was reading it, and I was like, oh my god, Fred got to do. You must have done Robin Williams' voice a lot, right? Or yeah, do you, you actually doing? I want to hear you do some Robin Williams because I'm reading it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, so wait, so Fred did this? The thing that was cool because I mean, I remember this coming up even as we were like, you know, kind of kicking this around on our end. We were like, 
you know, because we, we we didn't want somebody to try to like do Robin or be yeah, Robin. You can't. Mm, yeah, because yeah, it, it's it? it's just it, you know, I think it would rub <laughs> people the wrong way. And I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't. Do you remember what you were doing around 1988 in January? Uh, well, let, well, let me look back. You know, I was 12 years old. So, uh, I, you know, I, let me look back at the movies from that year. Cause I, I mean, <laughs> I, this is not going to help you entirely. I, I mean, certainly the, 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 like the movie going year that I remember most vividly is like 89 because that was the year of Batman. And, oh, you're talking to the right yeah. guy. Wow, yeah. wow. Are you talking to the right guy? Yeah, this I, guy. Was, I was 13. And so, Simpatico. I mean, I could not have been more hyped <laughs> but i'm trying to think like I, I certainly remember that like in so yeah 88 i definitely remember seeing beetlejuice uh oh yeah that was that wow. was a big one for me for for a while although it, it was it, i mean look like i mean like any any kid or teenager who saw that film it weirded me out for a while and then once <laughs> once i got through that uh, once i made peace with the weirdness of it then, <laughs> then i was i was really into it now did you see good morning vietnam i did when it first came I, out i did of oh. course of yeah. course uh yeah and I, the, I mean the thing i remember about it even more than the movie is how ubiquitous the uh the soundtrack was like being yes. at some like summer yes. camp that summer and just everybody had it and it's like <laughs> you know i think it's only like eight or nine songs and then it's all of like the you know the stand-up routines yeah. from it and and just and people just playing that over and over and into the ground and and uh, you know these like kind of like not even like second tier but like third tier songs from the 1960s yeah. <laughs> like, where did you grow up uh i mean I, I i at this point in my life i was living in manhattan i was born and raised oh. there until like my okay. mid-teens mm. uh and so yeah, i mean so at least in terms of like movie going uh you know pretty much everything was available to us everything came out so just going back so like how did you you know we talked about the, the, this amazing book that you have what was where did your, I guess your fascination or, cause there's definitely a passion behind the book for Robin. Where did that, did that start at this mm. movie or was it before that where you were Mork and Mindy guy or no, you know, what I, made you say, I'm going to write a 500 page book on Robin Williams? Well, and, it's a combination of things. I mean, in terms of like, you know, as far as like any kind of like childhood, uh, you know, connection to Robin, I mean, that came probably more from, uh, I remember very vividly, even at the age of four, seeing uh, Popeye when that was in theaters. And yeah, even though that's one of kind the of the first like, movies I saw in a theater. Yep. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's like this love weirdly it. misbegotten movie, but I love yeah. it. And I, I loved seeing it then. Uh, I mean, I, part of why I loved seeing it then is that like, uh, you know, when I was a kid, my mom would always be the one to take me to the movies and as much as like, I mean, it was a great experience for the both of us, but she just had this terrible habit of like getting late to any movie that we went to. We'd always come like 15 minutes late. And then she always had this knack for like, you know, she'd like give the, the usher some sob story about, you know, how we'd missed the start of the film. So could we stay for the next showing? And, and they would always let us. So like when I saw Popeye, I, like I, I missed the very beginning of it, but then we watched it and then we stayed for the next showing and watched it all the way through. So I oh, saw wow. it like, one and three quarters times in like <laughs> one day and you know, just all the, all those Harry Nielsen songs in it. And, yeah. and, he, and you know, Robin's performance in it is great. There's a lot of great supporting performances. It's weird. It's a, it's so rough around the edges, but that's part of what's charming about it. But uh, that was my, just my childhood kind of exposure to him, or at least like my first real introduction to him. But it wasn't until many years later that just like 
in in the capacity of just writing about him for the New York Times and doing a few pieces about him much later in his career when obviously I mean he'd had all the success and was even a little bit kind of uh you know out of sorts with the industry that people people mm. kind of didn't know what to make of him anymore he wasn't entirely sure what to do with himself and uh I, you know for one piece in particular when I spent a few days on the road with him when he was doing what essentially wound up being his last uh, stand-up tour and mm. the whole narrative of that uh stand-up set was all about basically these horrible couple of years that he had had where you know he had relapsed into alcoholism and and, mm. and gotten clean gotten divorced uh you know had the heart problems and had yeah. to have you know valve replacement surgery just this like you know job like series of misfortunes that he <laughs> basically was assimilating into a, a stand up set and it really yeah. um you know it just kind of bowled me over how honest he was or i mean he's trying to be very open about himself in his stand up in a way that he hadn't been before mm. to, to engage with him as a person and talk to him uh you know usually when you interview anybody they're always a little bit on guard or a little bit reserved or shy about themselves and celebrities, especially so because they have so much to protect. And, and he was not like that at all. He really put everything out there on the table and just, you know, wanted to talk about, uh, you know, how he felt he had wronged people when he was drinking again. And, and, mm, and really wow. this understanding that he had to get himself uh, cleaned up and, and, and get right with the, his loved ones and just with himself. And I just never forgot that. I think I just felt like he was so uh, candid in a way that I had never experienced before. And so that was a very memorable experience for me. And of course, just the tragedy of, of his death yeah. and the, the sense of loss that I think we all felt, even if we didn't uh, know him, but just that, that yeah. emptiness that we all felt after that. You know, there, there is a weird perception with Robin Williams. I find, and I've had it as well, where there are times when I love him. And then there's that point where it's like, ah, it's, it's the same old thing. I, yeah. it's, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it seemed like he was really struggling with that for really all of his career. Yeah. Well, I mean, no question. That, I mean, Good Morning Vietnam was his first number one movie. And yeah. prior yeah. to that, there was a lot of question of, was he even suitable to be a film star or a leading man in movies mm. because he'd already had the huge sitcom success of, of Mork and Mindy. But up until Good Morning Vietnam, nothing in terms of his movie roles were really uh, working. I mean, Popeye wow. is kind of considered a, a misfire, even though we obviously have this affection for it now. <laughs> yeah. And and all the movies that followed, I mean, you, you have a couple of sort of, you know, artistic, uh, you know, curiosities yeah. like Moscow on the Hudson. Yeah. And, and then you have, Garp. yeah, yeah. Garp I always enjoyed, but and, yeah, but still. And then you yeah. have some real duds. You have like, you know, Club Paradise. <laughs> and, uh, Club Paradise is one of yeah. the two movies in my life I've walked out of. Yeah. <laughs> I walked out of Club Paradise. I was like, wait, I wait, can't I know the this. other one. I know the other one. Uh, 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 is it Osmosis Jones? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those are the only two movies I was like, I can't do it. I cannot yeah. do it. What, what was the Judge Reinhold movie where he plays a cop with Phoebe Cates, I think is in it? Offbeat. Something beat. Offbeat. Off wow. the, I remember walking out of that movie. I was on a wow. date oh, and I was like, I'm at, and my, the girl that I was dating at the time, she had Nina, she was so upset. I'm like, I can't, I can't. Offbeat. Yeah. Off so. I'm so sorry, yeah. Dave. I interrupted anyway, yes. you. <laughs> I heard right. Club Paradise and I was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> it's, still, it's still an Ooh. ice pick in my brain. Yeah, you had some kind of galvanic reaction to that. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, I mean, that, but that was a real uh, misfire for him and, 
uh, like the survivors, which yeah, is the one with Walter, Walter Matthau, Matthau, right? right? Yeah. Right. Oh, and uh, <laughs> the, the best of times, which he did with, uh, you know, Russell. Russell. I like yeah. that movie. Yeah. I like that movie. It's yeah. A good but one. none of them, you know, I mean, certainly none of them were commercially successful. Only a couple of them, uh, you know, Moscow on the Hudson maybe got like the best reviews, but yeah. you know, nothing was making money for sure. And so, uh, certainly until Good Morning Vietnam came along. I mean, there was, and, and to really, for any any actor to have that kind of cold streak for that many years, yeah. uh, I mean, there's no question that people start to really, and certainly within, within Hollywood, they start to look at you and say, well, you know, maybe you're not meant to be a, a leading man. Maybe you can't be the sort of first build guy on a movie. And And Robin certainly was very cognizant of that and really, you know, internalized that and took that to heart because- Certainly, I mean, he had the kind of aspirations you would imagine somebody of his kind of status had. And and just also, I mean, he was always, even at that stage of his career, so sort of hyper aware of his own, you know, standing in the kind of larger, mm. uh, you know, ongoing NCAA tournament that, that Hollywood <laughs> is of like, <sighs> where, where am I ranked? Who's ahead of me? Who's behind me? Who, you know, it, certainly it, it was a very kind of one way rivalry, if you want to even call it that, but like. And he was very nervous about a guy like Eddie Murphy in the 1980s mm. because he saw that Murphy had, you know, tremendous success on S- SNL as a stand-up, and all of his earliest movies were huge hits, like uh, you know, 48 Hours and, and uh, uh, Trading Places. And so when he saw somebody like that who had, you know, basically success in every arena that Robin wanted to be successful in, he started to think, well, if if that guy has it and I don't, then this guy is going to get ahead of me. This guy is going to surpass me. And, you know, I, maybe I was just the flavor of the month and Eddie Murphy is the next thing. And, yeah. and you know, a, a, a decade later, he felt the same way about Jim Carrey. He, hmm. You know, he was always sure. kind of like just hyper aware of, uh, you know, where he thought he was in the hierarchy. Yeah. I wonder it, if the fact that I didn't know this till I read it in your book, Dave, the, the fa- I wonder if the fact that, you know, um, the trailer was made before any shooting of the, on the movie <laughs> was, <laughs> happened. Right. Did that put the screws to Robin in more of a, you know, did that put the pressure on him more to I, then deliver? In a funny way, I think, I think the reverse, I think that that okay. was almost like a kind of proof of concept or like a kind of a mm-hmm. test, a test run of like, could this even, even work? Uh, you know, because I, I mean, something that I was completely, I think as we all probably were when we saw this movie in theaters as, you know, being younger moviegoers, I mean, we forget that there was this whole previous era of like Vietnam movies, like, uh, you know, coming home and, and the deer hunter, they were all about like, you Platoon know, was right before exactly, this, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But all, you know, all about like, you know, the horror of the Vietnam war and yeah. how it just like, devastated people, tore them up, ruined lives. Uh, so the mere idea, uh, you know, and, and obviously, you know, the movie Good Morning Vietnam ultimately does take the war seriously. It's not uh, mocking it in, in, in any way, but no. until people had some sense of what it was going to be, I think there was a lot of fear, uh, you know, particularly at, at, at Touchstone and at, 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 at Disney, the idea that like, you know, were would audiences – misperceive it and think that it was somehow making fun of Vietnam or making v- just because yeah. that was Robin's kind of MO. I mean, he was best known as a, a stand up and a, a TV sitcom star. And so were they just going to make this kind of jokey 
movie that that treated it like a punchline, and, and at least the, that sort of trailer was a first taste, or a, a, you know, this is just giving people a sense of what the tone might be, and 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 just you know, planting those kind of breadcrumbs. It's the first movie to really kind of harness that thing that he does so inimitably as a stand-up yeah, yeah. comic and even on Mork and Mindy. What movie yeah. is, go- unless you're playing an alien from the right. planet Orc or whatever, where do you get to like <laughs> access all of that stuff in his brain and put it on film? And doing yeah. a, a DJ, a one-man show on the radio is the perfect way to do it's that. Like it's it built for him, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. It, 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 that's a good point. I mean, it literally was built for him in the sense that up until this movie, most of the other roles that he was doing were essentially, you know, scripts that had been written by a screenwriter and, you know, offered to him and that he took and and maybe he was the best suited or, or he had a take on the role or he was popular and they could put him in it. But this was really a project that essentially from the ground up was created for him or developed for him and developed with the intention that it have those DJ uh, booth sequences where he could riff and improvise because uh, his managers in particular who who cultivated this project uh i mean they wanted something that would have a place to kind of showcase that because it was something that he tried to kind of in interject into popeye a little bit and into yeah. world according to garp these little improvisations and certainly you know directors like altman and george roy hill who made hmm. garp they would not allow it. They they were not in the mood for it. And, wow. you know, he was this hotshot coming off of, you know, Mork and Mindy, whatever that's worth. And mm. he always, you know, throughout his movie making career, I mean, still wanted to be able to have the right to kind of play with the material. And, and uh, so his managers wisely knew that, like, if we can create a scenario where the improvisation is sort of, uh, organic to the story and and it's not like he's kind of stepping out of character right. in a Bugs Bunny way to just do some shtick and then coming back into the story. Let's mm-hmm. find a way that really make it integrated into the story and and tell uh, a really interesting story about the beginnings of the Vietnam War at the same time. They, and they, I think they totally succeeded on that front. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like this and Aladdin are the only movies that really that f- find a way to access yeah. that thing he does. You know, where else can you do it? You know, a ca- little think, cartoon or. Yeah, I think. Well, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think there are. I mean, you know, there are certainly other movies, I think, in it. But but Aladdin, I think, is in terms of like fully taking advantage of it, giving him the room to just completely let himself uh, off the leash. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it definitely lands in that same way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the moment in this movie that just kills me is when he comes back from the uh, the uh, the bombing of, of Jimmy Waz and then yeah. he's got to go on the air. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my God, that that's an, an unbelievable, an unbelievably complex thing to have to act. And I yeah. think that's where you really see his chops. That's, yeah. I wrote down in my notes. I was like, well, this is where, that's where he got the nomination. Right. That's right, that right there. Because <laughs> it was the fusion of the two things he was doing yep. so well in that movie in that moment. It is so great. Yeah. Does the movie still hold up for you? Um, yeah. I mean, I think you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt in terms of I, like, I just think that like, we know uh, what more Robin went on to. And so in, in some mm. ways it, it is a kind of almost like a, a rudimentariness to it that I feel now when I, when I watch it, because obviously mm. he went on to other roles 
like Aladdin and even things like, uh, you know, the Fisher King or, or yeah. you know, oh my God, so where, good. you know, I mean, he got to lean so much more into, uh, I think all of his talents and his, the energy that we know that, that he possessed. And so this is still, you can still see the sort of the way in which this is like a dry run for so much more that he is, is going to do as a, a film actor. And where was he at uh, kind of mentally, at this point, I, you know, in, in reading your book, it sounds like he had kind of made P because he had, like you said, seven years of movie making and never nothing really cracking through that he had almost made a kind of peace with it and was like, well, <laughs> maybe this is where I am on the pecking order. This is just I just don't translate in that way. And then, of course, as soon as you kind of let go of something like that for yeah, a second even then the opportunity comes in and it's like oh and then you blow up and then it happens i mean possibly because we don't you know we don't know the version of the story where maybe this was a flop or just didn't do so well and then he never becomes uh, a major mm -hmm. screen star i mean there's there's a certain amount of like at least from his perspective a certain monday morning monday morning you know quarterbacking to all of that but it, it's certainly the because the desire for him to be to prove that he was a viable film star was still very powerful at the stage and 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 frankly i mean he would go through that uh you know several times even after good morning vietnam and then then the pressure was you know prove that this wasn't a fluke prove yeah. that it wasn't just <laughs> right. this one movie and, the and whole new then, kind of pressure at that point yeah and and then then you know prove that you're more than just the improv comedy guy. Prove that you're like an authentic dramatic actor, and and then prove that <laughs> it wasn't an accident that you got nominated for an Academy Award. Get nominated for several, then prove that you can actually win an Oscar. Yeah. So I mean, in a way, the success begets like all these other, you know, internal self-imposed pressures for him. That's why I left the business. There yeah. was too much of that kind of pressure on me. I said enough, enough yeah. Hollywood. I've never lived in Hollywood. What's interesting at the end of your book, there is like the filmography and you look at yeah. that and you can kind of chart it. You can see like, okay, <laughs> he exploded here. And then he, and then he had like this really nice run with Fisher King and Aladdin and yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire and yeah. all the things that led up to Goodwill Hunting. And he was going back and forth uh, yeah. and awakenings of like drama and comedy and oh, drama God, and, comedy. and everything. Yeah was hitting, hitting, hitting. And then he wins the Oscar. And then he has that funny thing that happens where it's like, okay, this kind of feel good, emotional, sentimental groove that he gets in with the patch Adams and what dreams yeah. may come. And it, and that almost, I remember when he became, it almost felt like a joke, like, Oh, here's another sickeningly sweet Robin Williams movie, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. Where, yeah. and then, <laughs> and then he's got to put the, he puts the kibosh on that or tries to with that, that triumvirate in 2002 of, of insomnia he's going to do dark characters, one hour photo insomnia death to smoochie. And it was like, this is going to be this yes. renaissance for him, which I thought it was actually, I, mean, I remember yeah. loving him in all three of yeah. those movies and not that it necessarily went anywhere and like took his career to a whole new place, but it was, it's just right. interesting to see all the choices on that timeline like that. And yeah. to surmise like what he was going through and how he was feeling about which turns do I make? Which, uh, which yeah. paths do uh, I take? You know, I mean, obviously, you know, it, like you don't begrudge anybody's success. It was what he, he wanted, but, the, you know, the successes, uh, you know, I think pulled him in, in so many different uh, directions as a result that, you know, to the, the attempts to duplicate the successes in some way to do things that were 
similar adjacent to the things that that had succeeded and 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 the perennial for him i think it just became this this push and pull i mean he was so devoted to his managers who had really mm. you know helped create this particular project for him and and trusted them you know so implicitly and uh you know certainly by the time you get later into in his career you can so clearly see you know which were the movies that you know his managers wanted him to do because they were like you know big studio roles with the big paychecks which were the ones that he <laughs> wanted to do because he felt like you know they gave him a little bit of you know artistic fulfillment or let him play a kind of character he'd never played before but it ended up creating this resume that is so uh you know just all over the place so up and down and 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 those kinds of uh just oscillations that you saw in his career of uh, you know what kind of roles he wanted to play and and you know leaning for a long time into you know the sentimentality leaning into the kind of dark uh, you know, would be serial killer types hmm. and just those, those kinds of runs of like three, four films in a row, you know, and then swerving in some other direction. Do you have a favorite Robin Williams performance? Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny that nobody has ever really seen it or talked about, talks about it anymore, but he was in a movie uh, called seize the day uh, in 19. 19- I remember always seeing that at the video store. Yeah. It's a weird one. Cause it's not, I mean, of course now when people hear the title, they think it has something to do with uh, you know, Dead, Dead Poet Poets. Society yeah. and, and Carpe Diem, and, and it's 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 nothing to to do with that. It's um, <laughs> you know, so it's weird. it's it's based on uh, uh, the the novel based on um, uh, uh, the Saul Bellow Saul Bellow, novel. right? Yeah, and it, you know, it's it's a little bit of a period piece. It's like set in the in the nineteen fifties, but it's a very I think personal story for Robin because it's a it's about a guy who comes from a rich family and wants to be an actor or had dreams of being an actor. And, mm. you know, his father, uh, you, you know, really, uh, like shot down those artistic aspirations. And now the guy is like really kind of like down to his like last penny and just mentally kind of falling apart. And, you know, mm. so I, th- I, th- I think that that was like, uh, you know, again, it's, it's like still kind of like, uh, like a rudimentary stage in Robin's film career, but, uh, you can really tell, you know, how how much that role meant to him, and I think a lot of the just the, the overlap in his own uh, like life story that he that he felt and why that was meaningful to him, and also it's uh, you know a lot of it is just him and uh, Jerry Stiller, uh, you know, kibitzing throughout the film. Oh wow! And, uh, that so sounds that's, fun. That's a lot of fun that. to see. Yeah, oh, that's great. Obviously, yeah. I, I got to know the book pretty intimately, yeah. reading it several times, and and I was. I was, you know, blown away as I am with all your writing. I mean, oh, I, 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 I always enjoy reading your stuff. Um, and you know, I, I just loved it. it was, it was, it was a very honest look at his life and there was, you know, there was definitely, you know, a, a point of view there, but there was nothing judgmental mm. about him. And, and there definitely seemed to be, uh, a real respect which, which is yeah, what I, I loved so. about it. So yeah. it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was beautifully done. Thanks. I mean, I, 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 I hope I would like to think that his family would be really, really, you know, I'm sure it's probably very hard for them to, to read or mm-hmm. go back and relive that stuff. But I, I think they would be really, really happy with what, what, how you told his life. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, I've certainly had people, you know, within the, the, you know, you know, just, I would say key people who, you know, communicated back to me at various times after it with, you know, 
in, notes of encouragement and that that made me feel good you know just that like if they felt that in some way it, it captured him or it had you know had the right in insight about him you know i still think it's worthwhile just trying to you know get the sort of accurate version out there and and particularly making people aware of this disease that he had this Lewy body disease that i think mm-hmm. it, it people are still kind of coming to to understand it's much more uh you know i think uh, there's an increasing understanding of it or awareness of it it's a little more widespread than people might uh realize and so mm. uh you know that that i think is important too just that people come to understand what he was really suffering with at the end of his life dave thank you so sure. so much for joining us no, for thank this you for discussion letting me do this. Yeah. it was so fun and we're, yeah. we're going to be talking about popeye later in the year so we may oh, have to uh we may have, have to have you back have you if back you'd be that. so kind i'd be thrilled i, I would I'd love that so oh, yeah but we'd great. love to have you back uh, any any other time there's so much no, that would be, be my, fun to discuss with you you're uh, be my pleasure yeah. thank you i'd, I'd be so glad to do that thank you yeah thank you again so much i really i felt that you know when i sent you the email i was like this is the craziest day in the history of america uh, yeah. But do you want to talk about yeah. Good Morning Vietnam? <laughs> Pay attention to us now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to talk about movies? Yeah, why not? <laughs> anything, anything to change the subject, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Well, thank, you, thank you again. Such I'm a looking pleasure. Up. Thank yeah. you. No, thanks for having me. Have a great night and, uh, you know, everybody be safe and stay well. Dave is great. Dave should always be on this podcast. Amazing. Dave should actually maybe replace Dan. <laughs> if, we ever, if Dan ever has something better to do, we'll just do that. Or, or he can come on as a fourth and just join us. Uh, that was I, great. I, I feel ten times more stupid than I normally feel on this podcast <laughs> after having Dave too. on. I what know. a what a what a cool guy though. He's I want Dave on. Younger than all of us, far smarter than all of us. Hung out with Robin Williams, which I mean, I did a little bit in the early nineties, <laughs> but. <laughs> He was a wonderful guest. Absolutely yeah, it's wonderful. great. And it's it really is. It's so a fantastic book. It's a really, really great book. And I I love, I wasn't just blowing smoke up his, his tush there. I, I <laughs> really enjoy reading all his stuff, you know, in, in the Times. It's always great. Yeah. He's, he's a wonderful prolific. writer. He's, he's fantastic. So, I mean, we, we, you know, in the course of the conversation with him, obviously, we touched on some aspects of the film and some of our thoughts about it. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, what did you overall, what did you guys think? of Good Morning Vietnam. I don't know if I can necessarily glean how positive or, you know, mixed or whatever you guys are on it. I mean, like I, like I mentioned to Dave, I went into it thinking, huh, am I gonna, am I gonna like this? Is this gonna hold up? Am I gonna have those, those feelings again for Robin Williams that I sometimes sort of get? And I, I really did. And I really enjoyed it. I, I really had a, a, a great time all the way through He's great. As I mentioned, I love the supporting cast. Um, Forrest Whitaker is so good in this movie. He really is. I mean, I always, and I remembered, I'm like, wow, I always remembered liking him in this. I love mm-hmm. seeing that. He's so goofy. He, you know, there's something like adorable about him. I know. Yeah. The former VP will be here on Friday. <laughs> I expect every minute of the VP's PC to be taped and broadcast within 12 hours of his arrival. Something funny, Garlic, but perhaps you'd like to share it with the rest of us. No, sir. The former vice president is a delight, sir. Bruno Kirby is just—he's—he's he's perfect. He's perfect. He's yeah, so yeah. earnest. He's and humorless. But <laughs> yeah, I—I 
really enjoyed it. I found, you know, the the, the thing with um, him chasing after the girl, and the, it was slightly far-fetched. Yeah, um, and isn't that but, funny? In Dave's book, it even says, like, when Cronauer, you know, it was like, it was like uh, you only have to have the broad strokes here, you know, of my yeah. life story. Mm-hmm. And and it was like, it's the movie's got to have three things. And one of them was the girl, I guess, because maybe, you know, it was like, you need a love story or something. But I thought it was so funny that, because that feels a little tacked on to me or like not necessary, but it was like something that Cronauer is almost like, you can throw out most of my real life, whatever, but I got to work at a radio station. I'm in Vietnam and it has to be a girl. We're not the enemy. you the enemy. Tung Thanh Tran is the actor He's who great. Played. Twan. He did a really great job. Great. But when you set up the idea that Robin Williams becomes his friend because he's trying to get closer to the sister, that does a little bit dilute the friendship sli- yeah. ever so slightly. Yeah. And the fact that he has Forrest Whitaker there, as wonderful as Forrest Whitaker is, Forrest Whitaker feels like his closest ally too. So it, it's almost like splitting the best friend role a little bit. It just it just dilutes it slightly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, and just, you know, him taking over the, I mean, I, as we spoke with Dave, like, you know, the scenes with him with the class are, are they're wonderful. Oh, you know, there's, it's, they're so great and it's so fun to see him interplay. And uh, all those, I mean, I, I'm assuming they're not all actors. I'm assuming they were just, oh, yeah. you know, locals. In that they Dave's used. book, it says they're Thai locals. Yeah. 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 And they're they're, they're that great. One guy they're is so, so funny. Wonderful. All right, now let's try a very special situation. Wilkie, something special, okay? You go into a restaurant, okay? A waitress comes up to you. You're, you're wearing your best new suit. She comes up, she spills soup all over you. Looks at you like, eh, I'm sorry. What are you going to do about it, asshole? What do you say to her? What would you say? They spilled something on your pants. What would they do? What would you do? I do nothing. <laughs> It's cursing class. You're getting a little pissed off. What would you do? I just remain reticent. Okay, she goes in the kitchen. She gets a knife. She starts stabbing you. She's stabbing you. She's putting forks in you. She's got spoons in your eyes, Will. They're starting to cut you with knives. They're putting spoons in your eyes. What would you do, Will? What would you do? I'm waiting to die. (laughs) My favorite part of the movie was really... The, the radio gang, as I mentioned, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, it's just like a bunch of AV squad geeks all hanging out together. Yeah. And I just, I love the interplay between them. But yeah, yeah it was, I, I was really pleasantly surprised. It's so funny what you remember about a movie and what you forget. Mm-hmm. And I had pretty much forgotten the Tuan subplot, you know, which becomes kind of the main plot of the last third yeah. of the movie. Me too. I had, Me too. I, I had pretty much forgotten it utterly until the, you know, spoiler alert, the bombing of Jimmy Waz. Yep. And I went, oh, right, right, right. You know, same for and me. The, and the movie, same for you. And the movie sort of feels, it feels chunky. It feels a little disjointed. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it. I'm going, you know, this shouldn't, this is a structure that shouldn't work really because it, it because the first chunk of the movie is very much feels like to me, okay, this is, this is really built around Robin Williams's stand-up act, his in essence stock characters, you know, the 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 gay stylist, the 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 um uh Roosevelt E. Roosevelt character, which comes right from his stand-up. You know, there yeah. there are there are things that are sort of that feel like, oh, that's what this movie is. Right. Of course I knew that because I've you know seen it many times. But then you get sort of chunk two and chunk three. It's very much a, a kind of a three-act movie the pursuing of the girl and then the the all of the stuff where they get lost and um tuan has to come and get them and then you find out what you find out about tuan 
Mm. Uh, and that we spend so long in chunk one. That's why I'm saying it, it feels like it shouldn't work because you, you're in the back of your mind. You're going, I'm going at least where's this thing going to go ultimately? How's it going to elevate? How's it going to go next level? And then it does. But I think that's why that stuff feels tacked on because it, it feels like in the first chunk, you know, this is a guy, this is a movie about a guy against a system. Right. Yeah. And that's another, mm-hmm. that's another thing that feels diluted to me, a dissipation. I don't think yeah. you need Bruno Kirby and JT Walsh. I think they could have been combined uh, into one character. I or agree you, with or, you. You know, or you could have, you could have handled that a little bit differently. I don't think you need both of those characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, I agree I with you. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, but I think, I think that's either a lack of, either a lack of confidence in any one performer to do it or a feeling that, one side was going to undermine the other that you wouldn't be able to laugh at the guy if he was too threatening and you wouldn't be able to feel the menace if you spent a lot of time laughing at him when he tries to do his own radio show i don't know but it would have been it would have been very interesting and i think you're right Maybe. I, I and it, would have made, you. it, it would have made sense too if bruno kirby's character if it was just that one character you know uh, that's another reason why you know because he basically gets fired because they're like no everyone wants Cronauer back that's yeah. another reason why he's like well you know what Okay, then I'm gonna fuck with him. Send him on this road. I know this road is dangerous. Yeah, you know that yeah, you, you're you, right. you could have combined that. You don't I need. Think you don't need both. You stay out of my way. There'll be no problem. But if you toy with me, I'll burn you so bad you'll wish you died as a child. I think it's a flaw you're right. to make J.T. Walsh suddenly murderous on top of it to suddenly, to suddenly you know to, to make him like oh i'll send him on the on the vc occupied road yeah. so he dies and if garlic yeah. dies too so be it diluted diluted right yeah. it would have yeah. been more powerful one villain would have been more uh, one one fully rounded and human villain would have been more powerful yeah. and one vietnamese character that he s- forms a strong bond with emotional bond with that you really see yeah. whether it is whether it's a, a, a female or, or or the brother you know whatever but yet the movie works so well for me i did cry once and i cried the first time he goes on the air because and it's because i was i was weeping for the loss of robin williams i don't oh, think since i yeah. since robin williams <sighs> has passed yeah. away i've yeah. watched a Robin Williams film or a performance at him operating at the height of his powers. It's been a long time since I've watched that. And it's been a long time since I've seen this movie and it just, he just started and it was so good and it was so fun. And it was, and I, and all the memories came flooding back because like what, like Dave said, I had that soundtrack on, on cassette and I, I listened to it so much. So the parts of the movie that I know they're burned into my head, like a piece of music are, the comedy bits that wound up getting put onto the album and he's just so good. And, and, and it's also the way the movie, ha- I think this is the most deft uh, uh, um, play on the part of the movie is, is making him such a muted, quiet. He seems like a, like he's going to like a boring guy at the beginning of the movie. I mean, he's got some like right. little wisecracks here and there, but he's very soft-spoken. Mm-hmm. He's very muted. He's very, <laughs> he's kind of underplaying everything and, you know, and just kind of, you know, it's too early in the morning. I don't want to do that. You know, they're even playing like, this is ridiculous. I don't get up this early. He's shuffling into the studio. And then <laughs> literally the on-air light comes on and he comes alive. And he has this mm-hmm. electric energy as, you know, the, the, the patented Robin Williams electric energy. But the movie, like I said, the movie harnesses what he does so brilliantly as a stand-up in a way that no film before or since other than Aladdin, which is a cartoon, is able to do. Good! 
this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ. Is that me or does that sound like an Elvis Presley movie? Viva Da Nang. Oh, Viva Da Nang. Da Nang me, Da Nang me. Why don't they get a rope and hang me? Hey, is this a little too early for being that loud? Hey, too late. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God, it's early. Parts of this, when he goes and plays the different characters, I was like, oh, it reminds me of when Dan takes phone calls on, on our show. I was like, you know, and he has Jason, this, he, he has this one right. crazy line where he says, uh, big dogs, big dogs landing on my face means nothing. And he laughs. And I was like, this is like Nick Nolte calling in on the time phone. It like makes no sense. And the way we worry about, is anybody going to enjoy this or be able to follow <laughs> He just said, big dogs landing on my face. It means nothing. I'm laughing. So, you know, silly shit works. I I don't know. I just found that's the part of the movie that sings for me. It always has. It always will. And I do have other issues with the film. It works. It's it's very it's a very um, it's well made and it, it it fires on all the cylinders it needs to fire on. It didn't transcend any memories you know the way like you guys talked about moonstruck like kind of grew in your estimation over time it doesn't do that for me it's it's it it works as efficiently as it worked for me you know as a teenager or in my 20s maybe the last time i saw it so it totally works it's totally solid robin williams is great but yeah it's those radio bits that are that make the movie for me hearing his his bits and when he was going on it was funny. And it's, you know, and maybe like I'm, I was thinking a punchline, you know, there's so many movies you see where people yep. are trying to do funny bits yeah. and people are laughing and you're like, why are you laughing? That's not funny. This was funny. And there were moments that made no sense. And that just, you know, he, he's such a rapid rate of utterance, you know, he just flies and that that's his, his shtick, you know, some stuff he's working it out as he's doing yes. it and some stuff lands and some stuff you're thinking, wait, what was that? But then he goes, he makes a left turn and he's onto another. He, but it doesn't that? depend on the audience response you know so yeah. you don't have to build in like man he's funny you don't have to which which but, is so interesting because dave mentions that in that's the book. what i was just gonna say and Fred. he we, talks we, about that in the book and he's like do we need to bring people in to it's yeah. almost like dangerfield yeah. and Caddyshack, dangerfield. you yeah, know because he wasn't like, getting a reaction right he was worried that he's bombing isn't that crazy uh Another moment I love, I love all the stuff when he's, when he's teaching the class. I love the softball game. It's wonderful. But I also love when he's doing essentially his stand-up bit and riffing with all of the servicemen. You know, that's a terrific (laughs) scene. He's going, where are you from? He's basically crowd working. That that was crowd work. Yeah. Yeah, That was actually quite moving. And he does a little tribute to them on the radio later, but that's, that's gotta be all improvised too. I would imagine, I would think because he's basically, it's crowd work. It's, it's a comedian going, where are you from? They keep it messy. You know, you see him struggling at times. It seems very off the cuff and some things aren't that funny and you know they they, you know thankfully they don't cut to you know the troops laughing hysterically at shit that's not funny but you see Williams sort of stutter and and try to you know figure things (laughs) out and some stuff lands and it it feels very real and off the cuff and I like that they they did that and they just didn't show you know the winners you know the Mm -hmm. you know the ones that land that was fun just to see it go completely uh, raw and 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 fresh and spontaneous like that. I liked uh, the actor who played Jimmy Waugh too, Kuban Nagoyan. Oh, he was oh, we have to talk about him. Okay, Taylor had never seen this movie, and and I was like, all right, now you got to watch this. This is my favorite character in the movie. You have to watch the guy who plays Jimmy Waugh. She's like, why? It's just just what 
she was hysterical. She was like, what? <laughs> oh my God. I know. And, and, and when he's like, do you see how, how nicely it's tucked into his boot, his, his cuff of his <laughs> pants, elegantly tucked into his boot. Taylor was like, he's right. He's correct about that. He's looking, that doesn't he ask him? He's like, you get me a picture of that. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he ask me to get him a picture of that? that? He says, yeah. That's how many Sheila's? I will go a solid, solid, <laughs> solid 7.75 on this Whoa. Movie. Wow. Wow. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling an eight. I hear you. I'm feeling an eight for it. I'm going seven. I do really, really like it. But I did again. I said it all before. It didn't. It didn't grow in my estimation. But it was. Uh, yeah. It's still, you know, entertaining as hell. Works. You know, it's really works well. It's very well structured. Yeah. It's very effective. It's, it's, there's so much about it that shouldn't work, and yet it completely. It not, yeah, completely works. So much of it works. It is so fucking bold to do it, and it isn't a pure comedy about Vietnam, but it's the first. You know, it, <laughs> it's you forget it actually has a forebear in uh, mash i mean mash is the template yep. for something yep. like this but at this point but there had never been a vietnam set comedy or you know everything and especially this was the end of a long year of like heavy platoon full metal jacket hamburger hill i mean there's a lot of this, you know, yeah, there were the movies yeah. in the 70s that were reflecting on it immediately after the Vietnam War. But then it kind of took and it was another 10 years. And then all of a sudden it was really in vogue in the mid to late 80s. You know, there were Vietnam movies everywhere. And this yeah. is the first one that it's it, it's a great gamble, because if you can take something off of the beaten path and inject some humor into it and have a slightly different perspective on that time and, and that conflict, then all the more power to you. If it works well, it's going to be what this was, a gigantic, gigantic hit. Um, mm. But yeah, there were no guarantees, I guess. So mm-hmm. yeah, so give it props for that too. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. A very, very special thank you to our guest, David Itzkoff. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to him and hopefully we'll have him back on the show again soon. Uh, next week, we travel back to January 19th, 1996. And the release of just two films that week, Robert Rodriguez's From Dusk Till Dawn and Mr. Holland's Opus, starring Richard Dreyfus and the late, great Glenn Headley. Dan, what you got? I think in honor of Moonstruck, we got to do a little That's Amore. Oh, perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. That's Amore. We love that movie this week. And, uh, you know, this will take us out on it. A positive note. That's a more. Repeat. Oh, oh, Bobo, bring me another bottle of a wine. Oh, man, 
The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Thank you.